0: Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of music, for those like like, uh, Amy and Melissa who come forward and give themselves so freely that we may worship you. God, our prayer is that our worship of you would be done truly in spirit and truth. And for that reason, we ask that you'd bless the reading of your word this morning as we come into that presence of Christ that he would speak to us again of eternal things. Open the book that I might hear and believe. And the people of God said together, amen. I want to ask if you'll stand with me as we read from the eighth chapter of Amos. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to keep it open because it is a difficult chapter to work through. And many of you have said, gosh, the sermons are just way too long. And so I don't want to disappoint you this morning. (laughs) Um, But the scripture this morning is very powerful. And I hope and pray that you will be marked by God in leaving this place knowing the scriptures better. That's why we turn to the scriptures. This is not entertainment. This is encountering the living God. And so I invite you to hear God speak through his word. This is what the the sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. And then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence! Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath be ended, that we may market wheat? Skimping on the measures, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales. Buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Sell even the sweepings with the wheat. The Lord has sworn by himself the pride of Jacob. I will never forget anything they have done. I, will not, I w- will not the land tremble for this, and all who live in it mourn? The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink like the river of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight will turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloths and shave your heads. I will make that time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like bitter days. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. And in that day, the lovely young woman and the strong young man will faint because of thirst. And those who swear by the sins of Samaria, who say, As surely as God lives, Dan, Or as surely as the God of Beersheba lives, they will fall, never to rise again. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. As you and I think about this passage in ripe fruit that God is is, uh, speaking about, it's so funny because... As you think about Amos, Amos, as we learned in chapter 1, was a vine dresser and a a dresser of of sycamore trees and fig trees. And uh, coming from South Carolina, uh, I am a fig lover. We have two fig trees in our house, and let me tell you, we wait all year long for the figs to get ripened. They don't all ripen at one time. You have to go out every morning and pick the figs because the figs that ripen today are spoiled tomorrow. That's how fast they, they spoil. And so when you pick the figs, you either have to uh, dry them or put them in a refrigerator because they will not last long. And so when you and I began to read this passage, I thought, oh, good, I have a passage of Scripture I actually can preach on because I know something about. And then as I studied it, I began to say, I think Logan should preach this chapter <laughs> And as I studied even more, I thought maybe we both should just get on our knees and cry out because the passage itself is really quite quite damning to a people of God. Why is it so damning? Well, it begins with that phrase, ripe fruit. Before we understand it, we have to do a little review because like everything in the context of understanding what we're talking about, we have to understand the context of what Amos has spoken, and we will see those in the five judgments that he gives in the chapter. We've already covered three of them. The first was the vision of the locusts, talking about the early spring and what God would do to warn the people of the danger that they were creating for themselves by forgetting the Lord and seeking after other gods. The second vision was a vision of fire, that they were going to be consumed by their choices, a consuming fire that would, that would burn them in such ways that it was a warning God was giving. You are, you're going down the wrong path. The third is the plumb line, and it's a beautiful illustration of, of really architecture if you think about it. You've heard of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Have you heard of that? Well, it wasn't supposed to be leaning when someone put a plumb line on it in the beginning, it stood straight and tall. But as the foundation weakened, it began to lean and still leans even to this day. Well, the plumb line was used to keep things straight. And God has called us to look to Him to help us walk a straight path as we follow Him. But He warned Israel that was not happening. And then we come to the fourth vision, which is our vision today that He is, pre- he is preaching to the people of Israel. It's a vision of the basket of fruit now, I, I dare say that there has been very great consternation among co- scholars as to what fruit was in the basket. I like to think of it as figs, <laughs> just so you'll know. And then next week, we will close this series dealing with the vision of the Lord above the altar, that altar where God is worshipped. And so those things are important as you think about reading through this because these are, these are, are five distinct visions that God has given the prophet Amos, to preach to his people, calling them to be accountable before him, before the living Lord. Why is this so important? Well, we come to this fourth vision, the vision of the basket of fruits. And as we began to study that this week, one of the things that came forward is the fact that this is really a hononym. Have you ever heard of a (laughs) hononym? I haven't. (laughs) all the education I've had, I thought, what's homonym and I had forgotten but this is something we've probably learned back all the way in in primary school and it deals with that whole idea that a homonym are words that are spelled the same way or sound the same way but have different meanings and so a simple example of that would be the word pen what am I talking about when I say pen am I talking about a, a place where we hold animals in a in a group like the pen of pigs, or am I talking about a writing instrument you use to write on paper? Or another example is a book. When you say, I'll book it, what are you talking about? Are you talking about I'm going to read something out of a book, or are you talking about something that you're making as a reservation when you're taking a flight or going to have a meal at a restaurant? And so a homonym in its characteristic is something that can sound alike or spelled alike. There are two different kinds. There are uh, for those of you who are, who are curious and need this on Jeopardy when you watch it, those, those, there are homophones and homographs. In other words, there are homophones meaning words that sound alike but spelled differently like heel, like go-tar heels. Yeah? Or could that be that we're actually praying for the University of North Carolina to be healed of an illness? Or are we talking about the bottom of their foot? Or a, hol- or a homograph, which is, which is the word like a bow. When I hear bow or bow, which one is it? B-O-W, spelled the same way, but two different meanings. Bow as in the, an archery or a piece of equipment for archery, or bow as in to literally bow forward. You see? Well, what's the point of all this, Robert? Well, it's that word, basket of ripe fruit. What is God saying? He's using a homonym. When I think of ripe fruit of figs, man, that just gets my whole taste buds watering. But what God was going to tell them wasn't something that was mouth-watering. It was frightening. Because it wasn't just dealing with ripe fruit. It could also mean dealing with destruction. An end of Israel. Which meaning would you like? It's frightening. It's frightening for that very reason because God was pointing out that they had reached a place where they had turned away from God in such strong rebellion that there was no chance of them returning. Which is a warning to us as Christians that there is a lifestyle you can have as a Christian where you believe in Jesus Christ, you profess Him as your Lord, and then you begin to allow things in your life that deny the Lordship of Christ. And once you start down that road, God will warn you. How do I know that? Because He's given you the Holy Spirit who comes to correct and reprove and teach and encourage us in the way of Jesus Christ. But we can say no. And with each no that we say to God as he calls us to follow and abide and trust in him, we come further away from him and we can reach a point of no return where God will not withhold his judgment of us. You say it every Sunday, but you don't even realize it. I believe he will come to judge the and the dead who are the quick. Those who are quickened, alive in Christ, and those who are dead, those who are dead to God. You see, one of the things that we don't like to hear, because in American Christianity we've dressed up the gospel in such clothes that God is so loving and forgiving, He will ignore sin. He will not. He will not. He will judge it. And Israel has come to that point in their life where they have reached that point of no return where God has done everything that God could do to warn them, give them signs, indications. He has done one thing after another after another, and he says, finally, it's ripe. I will no longer spare them. It's almost as if God in the scriptures loves us so much, he is patient and long-suffering with you. Have you thought about that? How lovingly patient God is with me. You think that's not true? Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. Boy, is he patient. Isn't he patient with you too? You see, what God desires is that we love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what he really has created you to do in your life is to love the living God. And there's a part of me that really wants to do that and there's another part of me that really doesn't. And that part of me that doesn't is the dangerous part of the Christian life because I can fool myself into saying, Well, I love God, but then do things that just absolutely discount the love that I have for God. Well, Israel had reached that point where their sins had become so gross, so overwhelmingly obvious, so unrepentant that God says, I'm not going to spare them. And because of that, it's ripe, it's ripe fruit. It's going to rot, and it's inevitable that it's going to. Have you ever tasted a rotten fig? It is the most putrid thing you can put in your mouth. I remember going out and picking a fig that was too old, and I knew it. It just, you know, the skin was kind of ee, and you just thought, well, maybe. And you put it in the mouth, and it just sat on your tongue, and you just wanted to vomit it immediately. The first reaction. That is what God is drawing a picture of for Israel. You see, God had called Israel into the promised land and he said, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing so that through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. But the day you turn from me, the day you worship other gods, the day you begin to doubt my words and refuse to live according to my statutes, laws, and regulations, the day you do that, I will remove my hand of protection from you. Your crops will wither. Your orchards will dry up. You will not have rain from heaven. Your children will not be born before you. They They will literally not make it to being birthed. You you will see your enemies gather around you and overwhelm you because I am the Lord. And the minute you say, I'm not the Lord, then I will remove my protection from you. And that's exactly what happened. When they said, we will worship other gods, they began to reap the very things that God warned them about all the way back in Deuteronomy before they even got into the land. When Cindy and I first came to this church, one of the things that struck me that God imprinted on my heart was that word that God spoke to the children of Israel through Moses, that when you go into the land of promise and you eat from the orchards that you did not plant and you drink from the wells you did not dig and you live in the homes that you did not build, do not forget the Lord your God, for surely the day you forget him you will perish. The church in America has come to a point where we are perishing because we have forgotten who the Lord is. You say, that's bold, that's brash, it's true. We have accommodated too much. And in accommodating too much, we have allowed ourselves to be deceived. Why? Because we say, Jesus loves me, this I know. He will overlook all that I do and say, no. No. He won't. Why is this so important for us? Well, Moses Moses warned the people then, look, you've got to be very careful with God. He's not your good old buddy. He is the Lord, the sovereign Lord. Did you notice how many times Amos said that? The sovereign Lord. Why does he have to say sovereign? Because the people didn't believe it. They didn't believe God was sovereign. You know, there was a time in our nation when people did. And you didn't have to lock your doors. Did you? What has happened? Well, I I would suggest part of it is that we have lost the fear of God. And so because of that, we've come to this place where we have, as a people, can identify with the people of Israel in this one sense that they went from religious hypocrisy... Which is kind of the way I grew up in South Carolina. You know, you went to church and you gave God what he deserved on Sunday. And then you kind of lived your life the rest of the way you wanted during the rest rest of the week. That's kind of how our our Christianity was. Well, God is warning them. He's saying, look, that religious hypocrisy is going to just stand still. It's not stagnant. It will continue down a road that leads to eventually blatant rebellion. You know, that's so true about with children. Have you noticed that? If you get children everything they want, they only just want more bad things. And the more bad things they get, the worse they become. Have you ever heard the word spoiled brat? You ever heard that? Well, I was a spoiled brat. And so were you. What do I mean? Well, in so many ways... The generations that came before us envisioned that we would be a nation that would never have to experience war again. They did everything they could to produce generations of intelligently educated people. There was once a time where if you got a college education, you were one out of a hundred in your family. Today, people see it as a right. And then you begin to say, what kind of education are people getting What's going on? We're, we're at the point where there is an entitlement com- community in our country. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the commercials. It worries me. It worries me deeply. When someone gets on the TV and says, you need to go to the government and get everything you deserve. What do you deserve from the government? That's a good question. The people of Israel had come to the place where they thought they deserved things from God because they named the name of God. And there was the danger. Their blatant religious hypocrisy had become blatant rebellion. How did it become rebellion? Well, look at chapter 8, verse 4. Notice they practice oppression of the poor with great sacramonial. What do I mean by that? Well, look very carefully at verse 4. It says, hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain on the Sabbath? And and the Sabbath, when will it be ended that we may market wheat? And yet you skimp the measure, boosting the price and cheating with dishonor's scale. Verse 6, buying the poor with silver and the needy with a pair of sandals, selling even. The sweeping with the wheat. What was happening in that day? Well, the new moon festivals and the Sabbath were covenant holidays that the people of God were giving to God as celebration of worship. They were times of holy worship of God where people would gather and they would go to great effort to sing and praise God and give Him praise just like we do. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And in the midst of that festival, all they could think about was Monday, I got a deal coming through where I'm going to get rich. Tuesday, I'm going to sell this at a certain price, and the fools who buy it, I'm going to make hundreds of dollars. Have you noticed how the prices of things are going up? Have you noticed? Why? What drives prices up and down? Well, it's supply and demand. What was happening here was they were using the falseness of supply and demand. What do I mean? Well, if you go back to the verses that deal with this, their conduct was violating the law of God, which says you shall not cheat a person by using dishonest scales. There's a wonderful, I wish I could find it. There's a wonderful magazine, the Saturday Evening Post, when Norman Rockwell used to, used to do the, the drawings of it. There was a woman going to the butcher, and she's wanting to order meat. And she is watching the butcher put the meat on the scale. And he's putting his finger where she can't see it, pushing the scale down. And she's on the other side of the counter where the butcher can't see it, pushing the scale up with her finger So they're both doing this at the same time, right? That's what was happening in Israel. People were gathering for worship and all they could think about was material gain. And they wanted to take advantage of the poor in such ways that they would would take what was the prime choice wheat and say, this is prime. This is the best wheat you can buy. But in fact, it had been mixed with the straw stubble through the thrashing process so that basically what was being sold to the people wasn't prime, it was the dregs of the bottom. And what was worse, they would come to worship God and they would give alms. Do you know they were giving about 30% of their income to the temple? Did you know that? 10% 10% went to the management of the government. About 10% went to the organization of the priesthood for the temple worship. Another 10 was solely devoted to giving to the poor. And so get this, these businessmen who were so savvy in their business were making money off the poor, going and giving money to God in the temple and then the temple and the offering that was given there would go back to the poor and the most amazing thing, Here it is, the most amazing thing, is that they were selling even worse products to the poor, satisfying them. The poor were receiving money to buy goods to placate them. And it was just a cycle where the rich were getting rich and the poor were getting poor. There's another great danger that was happening the poor were being satisfied by being enslaved by it what do I mean they were happy when they got any silver or sandals because they thought thank God I've got that and instead of thinking about the law of God and looking at the way business was being done they began to become complacent in being cheated. Because they hoped one day they could take advantage of the system as well. Why is this so important? Because we live in days, my friends, where there was once a time in our country where if you charged a certain price for something... And someone could actually make an accusation that you were a thief or you were you were stuck on money because you charged over 10% of what the proceeds were for the profits. You could actually be kicked out of church for that. Did you know that? Did you? that you could actually be brought up on charges in a church, that you gouged people by inflating your prices, thus dishonoring God because you took dishonest gain. I was floored. Absolutely floored. Not only were there a... Oppression of the poor in two ways. The, the poor were being cheated, but the poor were also being helped to be enslaved. They, they were enslaved by the whole system voluntarily. The, the thing that really surprises you as you go further, God says the, the overwhelming things that you have done, I will not forget Because as they exploited the people and they got richer and richer, God says, listen, in verse 7, this will not stand. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I will never forget anything they have done. You hear that? That gives me such hope for this world, doesn't it? When you think about the injustice and the things that are so wrong with the world, God is not immune to that. He doesn't turn a blind eye. He sees everything, everything. And he says, I swear, it will not stand. It will not. I have such comfort with that. Perhaps this morning you've been cheated. Someone has taken advantage of you. Someone has not treated you fairly. Let me tell you, you do not have to worry about one thing. God sees it. And let me tell you, if you have taken advantage of someone... If you have done something you know was devious and you know cheated someone, let me tell you, God sees it. And he says, I will not forget. Scary, isn't it? He will come to judge the quick and the dead. The second thing that really was amazing was that God said because of this, the consequences of the rot are obvious. They're obvious. What do you mean? Well, go back and look in verse 8. Will not the land tremble for this and all who live in it mourn? The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink like the river of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, in that day. I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping. Why will God do that? Because they were worshiping. Isn't that a good thing? No, you don't get it. They were in the ritual of worship, but they were not living out a life before God. They were simply playing religious games. And God says, the rot's there. It's, it's already happening. I was talking with Evelyn years ago about a tree in our yard, and, and there was a limb that had grown out, and the limb literally had just rotted to the, to the point where it came out of the trunk. And she looked at me, and she said, You better think about that tree. You better be careful. I said, Why? She said, It's starting to rot from the top, and it's only going to die. And I said, Nah, it'll be fine. The tree fell down later in the yard. There was another tree, it was a gum tree, and I've never known this about a gum tree, but it was really quite amazing because a gum tree, it looks so healthy on the outside. It is huge and big and full of water, and it's just glorious in the size that it is until a wind came and it blew it over in the backyard, and when the arborist came and looked at the tree and we talked about it, she said, you better be careful, you've got other gum trees on your line. I said, what's the problem with gum trees? She said, they... Rot at the root. You never see the rot. But at the root, under the ground, the tree is rotting away in such ways that it literally loses its ability to stand and it lets you fall over and and crush you. God was so gracious, it only crushed the the bush that my wife put that I didn't want there. (laughs) But it happened the tree was ripe. A people can be ripe. A people can live in such ways that they actually feel that everything is right on the outside. But at the roots, everything is coming apart. (sighs) Is there any good news? Well, let me go a little further. Because of this, Because of the consequences that are coming, hear this Israel's end is going to happen. There will be no turning from that. God has decided. God is going to send them into exile why because he loves them he loves them so much he will not allow the rot to destroy them as a people he will preserve his name because he is the sovereign lord secondly he is going to send a famine of his word into the land now this this frightens the mess out of me as a pastor because it really transforms the whole understanding of the scriptures what god is saying here to the people in verses in, in those verses is that god's word will be evident for everyone to have and to hold. There are more Bibles today in American homes than ever before, but nothing is changing with the lifestyle that we have. Nothing is changing as far as holiness. And God is saying the same kind of thing. He says, my word will be everywhere for people to have, but it will be undigestible." What do I mean, undigestible? Well, it it literally will be a time where people will have God's word. They will be able to access God's word, but it will have no benefit to them as a people. It will cause God to withdraw that revelation so that as they have it, it will not have effect in their lives, and the people will begin to starve. They'll look like starving people. Have you ever seen what happens with starving people? Well, when a person goes through that kind of starvation, they go through a frantic search for food. Kind of like what happened for toilet paper when we started with COVID. Remember? They'll go through that frantic search for food and then there'll be an acrimony that grows among the people and it moves to a desperate search for some source of some kind of sustenance. But eventually it leads to an apathy and you'll see the pictures of people who are starving An atrophy will set in and finally hopelessness will come and then the end, death. And God says, interestingly enough, here's what he will do. Because of his judgments, he will judge people by thirst. What? They will be thirsty but find nothing to satisfy. They will literally hunger and thirst but they will not find any satisfaction for their soul. Why will God do this? Because he is bringing his judgment upon a people who would not repent, who would not turn, who would not seek him, who would not look for the living God. They didn't want him. And in so doing, they would become first agitated with him. It, they, would become, they would become a people who would overwhelmingly starve spiritually. And in that agitation, they would then become cynical and negative. And they would then run into and fro for meaning. They'd search every religion to try to find some purpose for life. And they would never find it until finally they'd come to this hollow, empty, discouraged, and despaired lifestyle. And then they would be hopeless. God says, I'm bringing this upon you because the fruit is ripe. The fruit is ripe. The fruit is ripe. Well, then what is the hope? Oh, I got good news for you. You got two minutes? I've got some great news for you. The reason God tells us to read the Old Testament is so that we would not repeat the mistakes of those who've come before us. And the problem the Israelites had was they were going through all the outward appearances of being believers of God. They were going through the outward appearances while inside they were not seeking the Lord. They were not dwelling upon Him. They were not allowing Him in their midst. They didn't have a relationship with Him. They just had a form of religion. And the good news is that God, knowing this, used this tremendous judgment to usher in a day where He would send one who would bring the opportunity for everyone, both Jew and Gentile, to come to a new day where they would hunger and thirst for righteousness where they would hunger, hunger for thirst and for righteousness. And the very thing that Jesus began his teaching in Matthew 5 is, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You say, what? Blessed are you. Why are you blessed? Because you know you're not righteous and you want to be. And Jesus says, because you come to that knowledge, you will be filled. Why? Who will fill you? Even Jesus. Because he will become your righteousness. Isn't that glorious? This is why when people come to that place and they understand the gospel, that they say, I've been transformed. I've been changed. I understand what God has done for me. All the things I were doing on the outward forms of religious rituals could not satisfy because they were unable to satisfy. They would not take care of the problem of my heart, which was sin that only separated me from God. What then could bring me into his presence but a Savior, Jesus? And so when you think of righteousness in the Old Testament, and that's a loaded word But it involves that relationship with God that you have right now through Jesus Christ, where you don't go through the form of religion, but you're able to walk with the living God each day. We we sing that song, don't we? It's not my favorite, but it's one we sing. I go to the garden alone. I hate that part because we're never alone. We're with others. But what do we talk? And he walks with me and he talks with me. Right? And he tells me I am his own. You hear that? Why do people love that song? Because it speaks of a genuine walk with God that was even offered to the Israelites, but they refused it. And let me tell you, my friends, you can come to church. You can go through the formalities of owning a Bible. But if that Bible isn't transforming you, if you're not encountering the living God day by day, you're just going through the motions. And your life is becoming ripe. Why? Because your your worship, what you're worshiping, is what you're going to become. Isn't that powerful? The good news is that God loved these people so much that he actually saved them from complete destruction by bringing judgment upon them. Because when that judgment came, they were ushered into exile. And there in exile they suddenly began to realize what it was they lost and they began to cry out to god have you ever wondered why is it that i seem so close to god when things are tough have you ever thought about that i mean when things are going great god's kind of a good buddy I just call on them every once in a while. Find out you have cancer or that your child is going to be going to the hospital with a disease you can't cure. At that moment, God becomes very real. Why? Why? Because God says, "When you search with me, search for me with all of your heart, you will find me." The story of Amos is a story of a people who didn't want to search for God. And the question is, how do you help people like that? God had to bring judgment upon them. Isn't that powerful? Does that mean that God inflicts evil on us? No. He is not the source of evil. But God is a God who loves you so much. He will not allow anything to replace your love for him. In Jesus Christ, he did the most astounding thing. He so loved you that he went to the cross to bear your sins so that as you hear the gospel, acknowledge your sin, repent and turn from it and return to him, he forgives you. I love Paul's letter to the Colossians. It's a powerful letter. If you haven't read it, the first chapter is really quite amazing. He starts out by remembering the Colossians and praying for them. And then he goes on and he says God has given you so much but one of the things that God now looks at you and says is I call you blameless. You hear that? I call you blameless. This is what God has done for you in Christ. And he's done all of this that you might love him. Would you pray with me? I think of that song we sing, O love that will not let me go. God, I thank you that you are a God at work. And even during the hard days that we live, the days of great confusion and great tumult, that even as you were at work in the days of Amos, you are now at work in the days of 2021. And in so loving us, you pursue us and will not let us go. There may be someone who knows in the sound of my voice that they have been far from you, God. And they've gone down a road that honestly is so far down the road, it's hard for them to imagine how they might turn back to you. But your mercies are new every morning. You tell us that if we cry out to the Lord, you will not reject us. You will receive us and accept us and cleanse us. My prayer, O God, is that we, your people, would turn back to you. And we would open the book and be changed by it. That there would not become a famine of God's word in our land. But it would be, we would be men and women who attentively love and seek you. We ask and we pray in Christ's name. And the people of God said together.